an 8-bit Rocket Studios production. We were children of the Silicon Revolution, an X-generation conscripted to fight the console and home computer wars. A product of an analog 70s childhood, we came of digital age in the 80s, believing we could affect the world 8 bits at a time. Armed with joysticks, full-stroke keyboards, jolt cola, and MTV haircuts, we proceeded into the vertical blank. There, we stayed up late at night, devising incantations from D&D rulebooks and beginner's all-purpose symbolic instruction code. Video games were the match, and programming was the fuse, as the infinite possibilities of the the digital world exploded into the internet age to come. We are Generation Atari. Hi, and welcome to Into the Vertical Blank, Season 3, Episode 14, Tempest and Yar's Revenge, the Advent of Hardcore Games. Hey, Steve. Hey, the title kind of gives away something about our next discussion. But kind of. It doesn't give it all away, though. No, I just, just, just something. The idea of hardcore games. You've got a lot of people who call themselves hardcore gamers now, but the whole idea of hardcore games in the golden age, they did exist. There were people who considered themselves hardcore gamers, mostly in the arcade. I don't think that name was used. No. But there were certainly games that were like, not for the faint of heart, I guess, would be what, what I'm trying to say. Games that were hardcore. Narc, for example, which came later. We're talking about hardcore because it was just gory, as yeah. I recall. Right. A lot of the arcade games that came after like 1985, I mean, you get to like the f fighting games and stuff and, you know, where most of the rules went away. I remember reading somewhere that Atari had this rule about humans not being the target or hurt in their games. So I don't know if that actually is true or not. It might have been something that Bushnell did or we talked about. But anyway, but it is true that most of the arcade games and Atari games that came before... 1985 didn't have a lot of human characters that would get shot or killed. I know Outlaw is an example of one that did, but it wasn't gory or anything. No. But after there, the fighting games and the shooting games and a lot of the stuff that came out was was very much hardcore is not the right word, but just like not necessarily family friendly. And I think a lot of the arcade before that was, but I think there were games that definitely were difficult and made for older teenagers or people who could handle difficult games. I know we've each prepared a list of our top 10 hardcore games from this golden age of arcade era and the 8-bit system era. Here's some rules about what I thought. Again, first, not for the faint of heart. Maybe when you begin, it throws you right into the deep end. It starts hard. Highly difficult. Easy to learn, like easy to learn the rules, but very difficult to play. Kind of that old Atari adage. And sort of the idea, takes no prisoners. These are games that have modes or things in them that are surprising and difficult and thrilling in ways that some other games might not have been. To me, a hardcore game of this era was a skill game that took a lot of time to master but was relatively easy to get into, like you said. Sure. Like, it was easy to start. It also made me, personally, uncomfortable to play. Meaning, 
I didn't feel like it was necessary for me to put a quarter in it because I was not going to get value for my money. For that's one of the reasons. Yeah. The other reasons was older kids played these, and sometimes the home version was easier, so I'd rather play that if we had it. So that to me, that's what would make a hardcore game. Very similar to yours. These are in that early 8-bit era. So I don't want yeah. to get it confused with games that came later. because This is mostly before 1985. Yes, yeah, exactly. Number 10, Dragon's Lair. Now, I wasn't a fan of Dragon's Lair, and I played it, I think I might be pumped some quarters into it, and I lost every time because it was so effing difficult. Now, you could learn it, but to me it was hardcore because it was so difficult and it was designed to eat your three quarters and get you move on within a few seconds i agree although it's not my number 10 on here i don't have it on my list but i agree that was a game that i just sort of stared at and watched people play but i would never take a shot at my number 10 is a game that i would play but i consider it hardcore and that's battle zone and the reason oh, I consider yeah. it hardcore because the cabinet looked like a tank and it actually scared me well, and it, the cabinet looked like a tank. And then when you went inside, it felt like a tank. It I felt mean, like <laughs> a tank. Right. Your, the viewfinder, the way you controlled it, it was hardcore. You were not pressing a couple and, little buttons. You had to use two sticks forward and backward into the side. The controls on Atari cabinets were incredible. Anyway, it was a hardcore yeah. game for that reason to me. The um, other thing that's kind of scared me about Battlezone was that it wasn't like a World War II simulator. It felt like a nuclear war simulator. Right. A new like you, you were fighting things like UFOs showed up and these weird mi missiles showed up. And it felt like real life and in the middle of the, the Cold War era, it certainly felt like you were participating in you know the end of the world. And it wasn't fantasy at all. It was no. like, this is hardcore game. Okay, so I guess another part of my definition of hardcore game could be that it's so realistic, that's why it scared me. Sure, sure. And remember, these impressions come from us in the early 80s. We, we didn't see a lot of this stuff before. So they, they probably seem a little naive now, but at the time it didn't. My number nine is totally different, is River Raid by Activision oh, for the 2600. Okay. This is why it's hardcore. Because it is, if you don't do this right, it is so hard to control. It's, it is a, this game takes no prisoners. If you... If you don't know what you're doing, if you don't read the directions, you'll end up shooting the fuel, you'll run out of fuel. There are corridors that are so hard to get through. If you just you know, move the joystick slightly one way or the other, you blow up. And getting anything over 15,000 points, you have to be a master at that game. And apparently there's, I don't know, what, 64 levels, different levels, or 128 or something. I only, I think I probably saw about 20 of them. Yeah, River Raid maybe, is maybe a game that... River Raid is a game that we got for Christmas, and we also got Vanguard with it. Yeah, and I found myself playing Vanguard more because I found it a little bit easier. Because River Raid was your game. This is in my mind oh, yeah. as a kid, right? It was your game. It was you were pretty good at it. I would crash against stuff all the time, and it was that sort of control, the inertia of the control that was a little bit harder. Especially given the example I just said, Vanguard, where you had like a safety zone, right? You hit this safety yeah. thing and you were protected for the next 10 seconds or whatever. So. Well, the other thing is about River Raid is that emulated, unless you emulate it precisely, 
it's incredibly difficult to play, including the controls. It sort of needed the stickiness of the Atari joystick to play correctly. If you're playing on a system where the where your joystick sort of drifts a little bit, you will run into walls almost immediately. But but I loved it. Says I love that game, but it was it was a hardcore experience. Okay, my number nine is a game that we played at a couple different people's houses, but we never really had. And this was that IBM PC version of Decathlon where you had to hit the keys really hard to and break a $200 keyboard to play the game. <laughs> yes, you did. And I it was hard. his dad coming in and getting mad at us. Well, yeah, because it was just $200 keyboard. keyboard. I mean, this was not a cheap keyboard. There weren't $15 a piece at the time. This was, this was an expensive keyboard. And to play that game, which was, there are very few games on that IBM PC, it was a hardcore game. Like, to play that game, it was hardcore. You beat up your keyboard and left no prisoners no um, i love that i bought an ibm pc uh, piece of software i don't know where it is right now a, a cib game the same type the gray box ibm pc yeah. from back xt from back in the day it was a stand-in for me in my head for olympic decathlon i still want that cib i, I just love that game Talk my number eight is ford apocalypse and it was the best combination of helicopter rescue and then actually exploration the problem with this game was that if you didn't know what you're doing, we even bought it and had the instructions, which was like a leaflet or something. It was so hard to play this game. It was just just this very difficult computer it's game. Like arcade top game. lifter on steroids with, a, with a redefined character set. One of those incredible Synapse games. Synapse, and, and I just want to say, along with that goes Zeppelin, which is very similar. Scrolling, flying, very detailed scrolling. You fly around, shooting stuff. Just these incredibly difficult but like compelling games made by Synapse. Yeah, Seamus is in they, there too. Or Seamus yeah. if you hit the walls. It was a little like Berserk, but it wasn't. They um, just made these hardcore compelling experiences. I, I love those. I love yeah. those games too. I mean, obviously I love everything on this list, but my number eight is the Vectrex. Just the whole thing. The whole okay? thing, right. The idea that the Vectrex had a, a vector screen Mindstorm is as hardcore of a shooting experience as you're ever going to play. The fact that it had Star Castle, which is one of the other big-time hardcore games. The Vectrex was, was a video game system for hardcore video game players. Right. You had to know about it. I mean, we got one when it came out, but we were one of the few. Now it's like one of the most sought-after systems there is. But at the time, you had to really study to know that it existed. You know? And it's funny because a lot of the hardcore games that we talk about are vector games because right. they seemingly, the play is seemingly so stripped down into basic elements because of the vector graphics. And then the, the timing and the movement and stuff is very precise as well. It seems like they lend themselves to those types of hardcore experiences. So the fact that there was a whole machine to play them on makes sense. My number seven is time pilot i don't oh. think you were ever into this game oh no i love watching you play it it was to me it was so hardcore it can't even go on my list because i couldn't even play it time pilot is i mean if you don't know how to play time pilot you'll die immediately it's all about turning into and away from groups of enemies that are coming at you on the first two levels and then in the, every level subsequent to that it changes and your job is to shoot missiles only and everything else comes by the wayside if you don't know that rule you just blow up immediately and it is complete muscle memory if you're going to play time pilot you need the real controls with the real joystick 
and you just got to go for it. I still might my top score tops out about 140,000 which is not that great I mean there are people who do way way better than that but that's at least getting past all the first five levels and into the second round again I just bought it for eight bucks on the PS4 again just because <laughs> I wanted to play it so and I'm kind of cr crazy like that I, I do things like that <clears throat> I buy CIB cartridges that already have two or three of the same cartridges so I can have the CIB version. That's what we do. So my number seven kind of breaks the mold a little bit of what I was talking about for hardcore games, but to me it is a entire genre that, and this is the epitome of the genre, so Eastern Front for the Atari 800. Chris which Crawford's was, game. Chris, yeah, Crawford's Chris Crawford's game. game. Eastern Front for the Atari 800, Chris Crawford's game. His war game was specifically created so it was really hard to win. You were where you, you could play either the Germans or the Russians on the Eastern Front of World War II. And if you choose to be the Germans who lost, it was really hard to win. And if you chose to be the Russians who did win, it was really hard to win. And I wasn't big into war games anyway. Look at number 10, Battlezone. It scared me because it looked like a tank. But to me, that game was just like hardcore statistics and the type of game that was like, wow, I could never get that game. But if I play Eastern Front now, it's kind of fun. Well, I'd say that I think even in the instruction manual, Chris Crawford says this game is designed for you to lose. Right. <laughs> like it's designed to teach a lesson. He chose, so he designed that tile interface with the joystick and the ability to select the units and move them, but didn't have a war game to attach it to. So he decided to make Eastern Front to teach people that war was not the answer or something like that. <laughs> it's pretty Same cool. with Bell his game Balance of Power, that basically yeah. there's no winning. You don't win. No. Winning well, means you, win, you lost. You, exactly. If you win the war, if you, if you decide to destroy the Russians in Balance of Power, then the world is destroyed. You, yeah, you, power, you need to basically balance. And so yeah. that's what, you know. Okay. The only way to win is not to play. I don't the know. The only way to win is not to play. He was how, a pretty, but, he, but he was before that movie. Oh, yeah. Um, okay, so my number six is Star Castle. Um, and I'll explain that I, it is a hardcore game. Basically, it was one of the hardest games ever made. But destroying the center for the first time was a reason for you and I and Eric Bart to all yell out and get, and get kicked out of Safeway. I forgot that we get kicked out of Safeway. Yeah, we get kicked out of Safeway. <laughs> it was a hardcore game. I mean, it's a vector game. It was, it is so hard. But of course, it's related to one of the top games on our list. So we'll we'll talk about that more later. But right. uh, my number six is Zeppelin or Apocalypse, which we already talked about. So we'll go to my number five, which is Escape from the Mind Master for oh, the Supercharger. Yeah. Oh my God. So this, the 3D perspective, maze game, timed with puzzles. I think I got to the second level in this thing. And I know that, that Ferg did a show where he finished the whole thing, I think. Or, well, or we sat about. there in real time with nothing else to do trying to play this game. Yeah, it was, this game still strikes me as like, we were working on a VR game a couple of years ago and I kept thinking we should just make Escape from the Mindmaster in VR. Like that would be awesome. But this game stuck with me for so long. I don't think another 3D game had an effect like it did until I played Dungeon Master on the Atari ST. 
Such an amazing game for the supercharger. This is the type of game that should have led to the Renaissance on the on the Atari. The... Yeah, well, and the games were twenty bucks. They should have the supercharger 15, should have been fifteen bucks. Fifteen bucks, right? The supercharger. But by the way, been. we asked in last episode before last, anyone in the UK could tell us if the supercharger was released in the UK. Someone came on the Facebook page and said, "Yes, it certainly was." So now we know the answer to that. So Great. thank you for answering our question. That's all. Yes. My number five, Donkey Kong. I'll tell you why. It seems cute, but it's not. And in the arcade, I only ever saw level one and two. I did see other people play levels three and four. So that's why on the 2600, it didn't matter to me that it only had levels one and two because I never saw any of the other ones. Um, I never played them. I saw them. I saw a few people play them. But really, it was a hard game. Like, those barrels come fast and furious at you. And you, if you sit there and wait, the barrels come at you as fire. And people complain about the pie level not being in it. But that, that level's super effing hard, too. Every level on that game is hard. Yeah. Donkey Kong is unrelenting. But once you are able to get through all the levels, you feel like a master. I think I made it to the the second level... You know, through the second time through before I died, you know, I never, never made it any further than that. Yeah, because the USA had it in us interesting levels, right? The USA made you go each time you played, it would add another level to it. So yes. you would play the first screen always, which was the slanted girders. And then the second screen on the first skill level was the top. You remove the rivets and he falls. The next time you played, you would get you would have to play through three levels to and the third level was the rivets and the next time was all four and it was so hard to get that far on three guys yes the third level was the pie level because the last level is always the rivets because that's the one where donkey kong dies right right exactly exactly yeah did you go through five i did my five so we're going to your okay, number my four my number now. four defender okay. my games on defender lasted an average of 30 seconds I combined Defender, Robotron, and Stargate all together in okay. mine. Well, then let me tell you, I have I, Robotron as my next one, too. Cool. My, so, I my mean, games on Robotron lasted 15 seconds. <laughs> I could get through some levels in Robotron. So the, these, the, this, this um, uh, trilogy from Williams is incredible, right? So first of all, when all of your humans get killed, Defender, and you go into space. Yeah, that's just... Space is the hardcorest of hardcore areas in all classic video games, right. right? There is a way to get through space and get back to the game again, but I've never did, did it, right? And once you go into space, space in, we could almost call the vertical blank space and defender. I use the term go into space all the time now, meaning you go into this place in defender because it's an expression born from playing this game. I say it's a feeling that only exists if you understood playing Defender and going into space. Going into space. Listen, so the interesting thing about these three games, so Defender had the most controls of any game of that time. And if you could use them right, you probably could get through space. But I could never get, I mean, get, the, it had get like them all to work. seven or eight buttons on the console. And so did Stargate. But Robotron, to its credit, 
was simple, except it used two joysticks. And I was never able to get my left hand to be able to do the joystick properly. I just wasn't coordinated enough to use them together that well. If you could fire in a different direction than you were moving with Robotron, then you could do really well. Just as a 13-year-old, 12-year-old, 13-year-old, that was just really hard for me to do. That's why these games, we say, are kind of for older kids who had more control over their bodies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. They are. They really are. <laughs> Better hand-eye coordination. But guess what? To me, that's a super hardcore of hardcore trilogies. But you and I both identified our top two hardcore games that we're going to talk about in a minute. But let's just mention what they are, because one is for the VCS and one is for uh, the arcade. The VCS one is Yar's Revenge. This is, of course, to is, me, it's kind of Star Castle. It's kind of Star Castle, but v Yar's Revenge is the culmination of all the skill games in one up to that time on the Atari VCS. Right. And to me, Tempest, as all of Atari's arcade games go, it is the most compelling to just play over and over and over again, but also super hardcore. So we're going to get into that next. I've always had this uh, fascination with the game Tempest, even though it is really hard. I mean, Tempest to me was the first hardcore game, and it kind of scared me when I was a kid. I think I had the same feeling. I think it was, when did it come out? It came out in like around 81 or 80? It's 81, yeah. So 81, we're 11, and this is when all the 17, 18-year-olds were into video games for the short period of time that they're into video games. Even 15 year olds, anybody older than us as our tiny little 11 year olds, they wanted to play Tempest and they scared the crap out of us. Yeah, I recall there being one machine in a liquor store, because of course we would play most of our video games at the front of liquor stores, which of course that kind of gave them a bad name to begin with. But the city we lived in wouldn't allow there to be an arcade. So the only place you could have a video game was at the front of your liquor store or your convenience store or your drug store. So, I mean, it, it came with the territory. Anyway, I remember a couple guys playing Tempest and they were trying to spell Iron Maiden down the high score list. And so they would harass you if you played, because if you got a high score and messed up their Iron Maiden, they would, be, they would kick your ass. Yeah, I remember that. And so I would watch people play, but I never really played in the front of the liquor store. But when I could steal a game at the Castle Park, the game fascinated me, especially the spinner control. I felt kind of like the paddles. On, it's more like the driving controller on the 2600, but it was super precise. It didn't make the game any easier, though. It, it just made it so you could actually spin it. And I think that's the huge problem with this game, e even years later, is trying to replicate the controls. It's just so hard on any... And I've tried over the last few days on several different consoles and computers, and you know, I got to a reasonable spot, but not any place where I actually felt like I was in control. Well, I have one we'll talk about later that is very, very good. I just did a review of it for our site and uh, talk about it a little bit because I have a version that is probably the best to control. Let's go back a bit. For anyone who, who doesn't know, which can't be anybody, what what is Tempest? Tempest is an Atari 
arcade game released in 1981, one of the first color vector games ever released. Yes, it's used the brand new at the time 19-inch QuadraScan color video display system. Upright, height adjustable, and ha- also available in cocktail and cabaret models. Um, do you want? It sounds like that's for, you're reading from a brochure, and that's cool. Yeah, this is um, this is from the uh, from the arcade flyer. The Tempest had 99 skill levels, including basically. seven different targets and 16 different playfield designs. So there were 16 different actual levels, and then 99 skill levels on top of that. That's the game basically could go on forever. So once you went through all the boards, then you then you went to level one, then you went to level yeah, two. Yeah, there were sixteen. There were sixteen. So this is what it says: Atari is defining the future. Tempest is a new dimension beyond the boundaries of imagination, an extra sensory, visual, and futuristic play experience that goes beyond any video game concept ever developed. Tempest offers new high-velocity battle action and never-ending challenge. Well, we know it does end after 16 times 99. Whatever, that's that's pretty never-ending. Anyway, players use a blaster to destroy enemy targets as they flash up the playfield corridors towards the player. The blaster is limited to the rim of the playfield, so the player must rotate his weapon and dodge back and forth around the edge to score and avoid being hit by an enemy. Each time a player destroys a target on the playfield, a different, more difficult playfield design materializes along with more hostile targets. Quadrascan color video graphics provides spectacular animation and attraction. Unique programming provides exciting new play action features. I'd like to say unique programming as if every game didn't already have unique programming. Exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, in the game, you would, you, you had a zapper, I guess, and you would, you would, or blaster, they call it here, and you would rotate using a, what was kind of like a driving a 360 degree controller that would spin you most of the times all the way around the outside of a geometric object, but sometimes back and forth when there wasn't an outside and you would shoot. It was like a 3D Space Invaders. I I believe that that is what... Supposedly things are coming up from a hole at you, right? So let's go through so let's go through a little Tempest history, Steve. Okay, cool. Tempest was the second big game for Atari in 1981. It was originally designed by Missile Command designer Dave Thur as a 3D version of Space Invaders, as we already said. It ended up being a third-person 3D battle around the edges of increasingly, increasingly more intricate, geometrically shaped proving grounds. That's a good All right, here's a quote by Rich Adam on about Dave Thur, who designed it. Came in one day, and all of a sudden, he had this round tube with these things coming up it. I said, what the heck is that, Dave? He said, I don't know, aliens from the center of Earth? I don't know. I think he said something about having a dream about it. I said, how does it work? He said, I don't know. They're coming up around the edge of this thing and you're trying to blow them away. He just sort of started out with this concept and took it from there. I can see why he would say Tempest was certainly his proudest achievement. He worked extremely hard on that. It's a pure creation from his own brain. So Tempest included a knob-style paddle controller to move the player's avatar around the rim of the geometrically shaped levels. It also used Tari's newest color vector generator, Color Quadrascan, as we mentioned before. And the vector math box used to create 3D visuals 
that had never previously been seen in the arcades. The combination I think that was of Jed Margolin's math box, by the yes, way. Yes, it was Je so Jed Margolin's math box, which went on to be used in Battlezone, and then wasn't used in Star Wars. If you go back to our Star Wars right. episode, yes, he wanted yeah. it to be, and it was not. The combination of great graphics, fast action, and innovative game design created a superb hit for Atari. The game was so hypnotic that some players would go into a trance-like zone while playing, shutting out everything else around them. It also couldn't have been the pot they were smoking while they were playing the game. No, no. Well, some of them. Okay, here's a quote from Lyle Rains. Tempest controls were good enough to where once you learned how to manipulate them, you could almost become one with the machine. That is, a good Tempest player gets to spin that knob and do the firing at the right time and get into sync with the machine and get into a rhythm. I don't know exactly what to call it, but you were so close to the action that part of you entered the experience. You forgot about what was going on and you were just there. Again, that's Lyle Rains, who was the Ast Asteroids developer, right? Programmer, designer. Yeah, and um, other things. I mean, what he's describing there is the zone that we described in our Asteroids asteroid episode basically. and also Laser Blast episode. A common thing for Golden Age video games, I think. Yeah, for skill games. That skill games non-character based skill games there's a there's an nes zone that you would get into when you're playing a game like zelda or whatever trying to get to the next thing or upgrade your character in, a, in an rpg there is a zone for all the games but the atari zone has to be with that skill level of getting the becoming one with the machine yeah totally okay so tempest sold about thirty thousand units only eight thousand more than Astra's deluxe However, the greatest gain was not in numbers sold, but in mindshare. With Tempest, Atari looked like a company moving forward, not one that was reaching back for hits for inspiration. The teenagers and older gamers who had grown up on Pong and Space Invaders now craved more challenging and thrilling gaming experiences, and they had it with Tempest. Atari was in the position to deliver. Okay, and here's anonymous Atari fan, and I'll tell you who this is after I read the quote. Tempest was hardcore. I mean hardcore. Some kids were intimidated by it. I recall all the heavy metal guys stood around the machine and would not let anyone else play. It was a bad scene when they were in the arcade. However, when no one else was around, I'd always feed it a quarter or two. The game was mesmerizing to play. Anonymous Atari fan. That's me, of course. When I wrote this history that we were just reading for Gama Sutra back in, I don't know, was it 2007 or 2008? I needed another quote and I used myself. That's great. I love Which it. I guess it's okay, right? <laughs> it's fine. So did you go and play Tempest for I our did. high score I competition? I played Tempest for a high score competition. What did you play it? Okay. So I went to Steam and first I played Tempest with a joystick, um, which, I mean, first I played, I didn't play it with the, uh, with the Stella adapter and a 2600 joystick. I played it with uh, Xbox 360 gamepad. Right. So I played it with the analog stick first and I got like 15,000 points. I was like, what? It was really hard. Then I played it with the, it's because you don't, you can't, it feels as if you can't control it. Yeah. Like, it, the, the the blaster goes all the way around both ways. And you're like, you only kind of stop the momentum and go the other direction. It's absolutely not like playing it in the arcade at all. Well, I, I then tried it with the, the D-pad. I did a little bit better there. I got 25,000. 
Then I just tried it with a mouse. And with a mouse, I was able to get my final score, which is 72,036 oh. points. So, What level did you get to? Well, this is the thing. I got high enough on the other two games so I could start at level nine. And so when I finished that one, I, I had 68,000 points. So then I only had to play a little bit more survived to, to beat your score. So I mean, that's basically I know, how you do it. I, I don't know if it's cheating or not, but that's how I got my higher, my higher score than you did. I think if we had an actual spinner control, you wouldn't have to necessarily do that. No. So I remember, okay, so anyway, I don't want to interrupt you. So did you play any other ways than that? Yeah. So I played um, Tempest Elite Plus on the Atari 800. And I was at 140,000 points when I decided that I needed to get on to other game reviews. So I let myself die. That game is easier but it's really, really well done, and you can use the driving controller, which is what I used. Oh, wow. Yeah, I got to say, using an actual driving controller like that has got to be the way to make it happen. And I played so, so play it on the Atari 800XL so I could plug the driving controller straight, straight in. It wasn't oh, like cool. I tried to emulate it and do it. But, well, I played three different ways. So I started with the Atari ST version because I remember actually getting the Atari ST version when we had our Atari ST back in the 80s. I think we got it when we bought our 1040 ST from Federated Group. I think we got a couple games and that came with it, or we bought it secondarily. But I know we had the disc, and it, it's actually a decent version. The mouse makes it easier to control, I think, than any other control is just sliding it back and forth and trying to be more precise. I didn't test my high score on that one. I went to play Atari Vault on the PS4 first, I played it for like an hour and I did exactly what you did. I kept starting at the level that I left off and I managed only, I think I topped out at 64,150 points doing what you said. But the problem is using that analog controller, you really have no control at all. I mean, it's, it feels almost random play. Maybe some people can get better at it. I went and played again this morning, hoping that maybe like the, the R1 and R2 buttons or R, you know, R1 and L1 would, would rotate back and forth, but they don't at all. So the Atari Vault controls are not great. Usually they support a lot of different things, especially on the PC, but not on the PS4. I did play Atari Vault on the PC as well, and I was able to do reasonably well and control a little bit better with the Xbox controller using the gamepad, but I didn't match my score from the PS4, so I don't know what that was about. So and is your Atari Vault updated to contain the third section, the yes. third set of games? Yeah, it is. Okay. Yeah. yeah and I, Steam I minus spent, two. I am I'm such a sucker because I paid like what F five or ten bucks for that when the day I I think it was the same day I bought Pong Quest on the Switch, just because I, I wanted to have the games. I mean I'm a, a sucker for Atari stuff, so I, I bought it. But why is it Food Fight on? It's good to have some of the old coin ops, you know, like Fire Truck and stuff, just to see them. And Superbug. But, the, but Food Fight should be on there for sure. It's yeah, the control, but you know what? With the analog Xbox 360 controller, you could mimic the actual control from Food Fight. Oh, yeah, no. I mean, that would be. That would so be it, that's why Tempest, Food you know, The goal was Tempest. I, I only got 64,150. I wanted to get more. I, I actually feel like I want to play it more now, though. If I could get the right controllers, I would play it 
Well, you uh, kicked my butt on the other game, so we'll we'll get to there in a little bit. Yeah, because I figured something out on that one. So then I, I played the VCS version emulated of Tempest. I know it's just a demo. I can see why. I know I understand why they tried. Vector graphics are so important to it. The visuals are so important to the way it's created. It just makes it hard to even try. I think that quite possibly, um, you know, there's a team out there that could make a good one now using. I mean, using the same uh, way that they're making other VCS games, they might be able to make one. But that version is not good, not very good. Yeah. So, um, did have you played Tempest Two Thousand on the Jaguar? Yes, I own I own a cartridge. And uh, what do you remember about that? Because that came out. I think I think so, I got you when I bought you the Jaguar in like ninety five or ninety six. I believe that came with it, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I've that had that for a long time. Um, and that's and, probably the best game. So Tempest 2000 is fantastic. I didn't play it before this for this particular um, Getting out the Jaguar is a little bit of a, 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 a pain at the moment to get it to work. Um, I can actually record record it now. I was that's what that's the reason I was waiting for my RGB cables to come so I could actually plug it in and record it. So playing it's a little more difficult, but I remember the game's great and it doesn't have as many power-ups as, as I would think you'd want, but anyway, Jeff Minter did a fantastic job on it. The Tempest Elite Plus for the Atari 800 is a virtual copy of that on the Atari 800. Same power-ups, oh, wow. same everything. It's really good, really well done. Now, wasn't there a version of Tempest 2000 for the PC too? When when Atari right at the end was making like Atari software, and they made a couple games for the PC, and one of them was a version of Tempest 2000. I think it was. We had it. We had it. Was that Atari started making a few things? Tremel actually, Atari started making a few games for the PC. We purchased that at CompUSA, and it was difficult to get working, as I remember. Like it was in DOS, but we did have it. It was pretty good. The best version is Tempest of that's not on the Jaguar is Tempest X on the PlayStation One or the PS. Oh, okay, that was the PlayStation One. I got that when I first got a PlayStation One. That's the first game I bought. Really? Yeah. So I still have that. Is that Mint Minter or too. someone else? What's that? Is that Jeff Minter? No, I don't know if it's Jeff Minter or not. I doesn't. I don't think so. But it's basically Tempest two thousand. Basically Tempest two thousand, and it's really good. And um, it, I, I think it's pretty rare to have that cartridge i mean to have that disc so um he did tempest x3 1996 on the ps1 oh then then it was his okay well that's what it says i'm looking at it says he says he's credited only for tempest 2000 i don't know this is on wikipedia but maybe it's possible that that is his uh, let's go through the official ports of the original tempest it came out in the uk and i'm pretty sure arc development did the um the Atari ST version. They may have done the others that came out on it's the It's decent, but the, the Atari ST version is decent. It's decent. It's not great, but it's decent. You could tell that if they had more time, we're probably in a time crunch, they could have made it better. But it, it's pretty good. They didn't do a bad, they didn't do a poor job of it at all. It just could have been magnificent and it's just good, right? It came out on the Amstrad CPC, BBC Micro, and ZX Spectrum. A lot of those, they mimic the vector graphics pretty well, much better than the um, 2600. But those are the only official releases of that. There is what is a Atari 5200 demo that's out there. It's a prototype. And I don't know if that is the code base that was used by Atari sales slash Peter J. Meyer to start with to make Tempest Elite Plus. 
there's a demo of Tempest Elite out there that anybody can get and play, but you can only get Tempest Elite Plus on a cartridge. And it's a cool green cartridge with really nice music by Sal Esquivel. It's a, it's a really nice package they put together, but it's about $49.99 to get. It's worth it, the amount of work that was put into it. But that's no other way to play. And there, by the way, there is a demo on the Vectrex homebrew called like Tempest Demo that I played a little bit of. It's pretty cool, but I'm still not sure if an actual Vectrex version has ever been released as a homebrew. That would be a really cool. It's just a very difficult, I think, to build. Was there a Nuon version? Oh, you mean of like Tempest 2000 or something? Yeah, Nuon Tempest 3000. So so the Nuon had Tempest min- 3000. Minter joint, right? Done by Jeff Minter. And, and they were those were games that were embedded, or they were embedded on the Nuon? Like it was a chip? No, was- no, no. You, they, were, they were on... The Nuon was a, a GPU for unpacking like MPEG video that could double as a GPU. And so you would just stick a CD in that that was formatted the right way, and then it would have games on it. So there's also Tempest 4000, which came out yeah, in 2018. Yeah, PlayStation 4. I have it. I played oh, No, it's bit. also you know, on Windows. Windows, oh, okay. yeah. Oh, that's, that's one of the Atari ones. It's a decent game. It's also by Jeff Minter. Right. And, you know, he did the TKX, which is basically his own, his in-betweener version of Tempest that Atari sued him for. And I guess they settled it. I had that it. on the 360. It's great. Yeah, and then they settled it, and then he made Tempest 4000. It's good. I think there's even a VR mode in it. It's it's hardcore. The game has not evolved that much in, in the basics since it came out. You go around geometric, you shoot stuff, and you dodge things. You know, there's all sorts of bitchin' special effects. It's really hard, and you, ha- you have to be in the mood for that type of thing. But it's super fun, and every time Minter makes a new one, he just adds more and more Zarjazz to it. I think it really pleases him and his sense of aesthetics. They're amazing to look at, and playing is, is hard, I guess. So at Homesoft, which is, um, I'll put it in the show notes, but musica.com, Tempest Extreme Demo is there. And it's basically what is Tempest Elite Plus, but it's just a demo, and I don't know how much of the game is there. And so that's one place to play that one if you don't have the cart. Now, there may be other versions out there somewhere. I'd say that, so, so you know, playing it, though, I, you know, the, the thing that got me when I was playing this time and I had forgotten about were the spikes. So, like, not only do you have to shoot the guys that are coming at you, and not only when they reach the edge do you have to like time it correctly so right when they've lifted up one side you can roll in to shoot them but like the spikes come up in each little slot and you need to make sure to shoot those down or find a way out yeah every time i kept on and getting i kept on getting blasted by the spikes it's super yeah I, I probably lost sometimes on the playstation i'd lose all my guys trying to get the spikes out because it's so hard to to position you you going out the game itself the action plus all the different elements and even the super zapper it's a pretty awesome game for the time that it came out i have to admit there's nothing else like it and it it certainly ate a lot of my quarters at the arcade back then i just didn't do very well at it i know i did pretty good because i think i would i would actually start at some of the higher levels because i wanted to see what all the geometric shapes were i would have been disappointed to only know there were 16 back then i would say that of all the Atari arcade games that came out, it probably was the the closest to like a Williams game, like yeah, Williams like a, Defender or Robotron. Hardcore games. Games. Hardcore, right? Like Asteroids is kind of hardcore, but really you could sit there Space in the middle. There's Duel no is pretty hardcore. 
there's no there's no ship hunt there's no small ship hunt place right like it, it is just hardcore blasting i mean there are obviously hardcore games that with no with no real resting period well i think that food otherwise. fight and space duel and tempest are very much in that williams yeah. vein i mean that was atari fire on all cylinders right there yeah um so we know that they tried to make a VCS version of this game, but they couldn't do it. So another game that really interests me in this vein and came out at a very similar time was by Howard Scott Warshaw. It is famously known for E.T., but also famously known for making one of the best games on the Atari VCS, which is Yars Avenge. And it was supposed to be a version of Star Castle. I'm not sure if... Howard Scott Warshaw chose it himself. I think he probably did because Atari didn't license Star Castle, so he couldn't have been asked to do it. But it started out of Star Castle. There's another version of Yards of Revenge where someone tried to make it look a little bit more like Star Castle, like that's a homebrew. But I think that Yards of Revenge itself is a perfect game. And I've been playing it for the last few days. And we, I know we played it back in, oh, I'd say, 84. Oh, we had that cartridge and played it a lot. I know we went to our friend Wesley's house and he had he loved Yars Revenge. And I think we played it there first, is if if I recall. Most likely. Um, and then got it. But Yars Revenge, it to me, probably now that and I probably say this all the time, but probably the single greatest music game ever made. An original game. Original game. So before especially under the four K barrier or whatever yeah, they were doing. It is absolutely thrilling to play. Everything about it, you know, I get this adrenaline rush to play it and it is it's really fun. It's so, hardcore. It's as hardcore as Tempest. Especially when you eat away at the or fire or eat away at the barrier and then you're continually bumping into the quotile yeah yeah and then firing the missile at it and i hit myself so many times with my own missile because i I would i would constantly fire like within like 20 seconds fire five of those and they would all miss and the fifth one would hit me because i'm getting into this zone of firing it let's go back and talk a little bit about what the game is so in yar's revenge you play yar are you really Yar in Yar's Revenge? Yeah. You're Yar, which, which famously is Ray Kassar backwards. It's Ray backwards. That's the guy who ran Atari at the time. So, yeah, you've got Yar. You've got the energy missile, which you shoot. You've got the quotile, which is the thing you're trying to shoot. You've got the shield. You've got the cells, which are the little bits of the shield. You've got the destroyer missile, which is a little tiny missile trying to blow you up. Very reminiscent of the little sparks in um, Star Castle. Right. Um, right. And there's Zolar pain in the cannon. ass. Sorry. Yeah, pain in the ass. You've got the Zolar cannon, which is what you fire as soon as you touch, you either eat one of the dots or you or you touch the quotile and then you shoot it across the screen. You've got the swirl, which is pro- kind of an uncreative uh, name for the thing that the quotile shoots, well, becomes and shoots at you. And then you've got the neutral zone, which is a, a zone of graphics in the middle of the screen that you can't be hit by the energy missile inside of. Yeah, but you can um, be hit by the swirl in there. Oh yeah, you can. So yeah, I mean, your job is to is to shoot the shield, and your job is to then either touch uh, the quotile, or I think if you eat one of the squares of the Zolar cannon, will show up, and then your job is to shoot the quotile with it. And it sounds easy, I guess, but it's certainly not. So let me read this to you. 
uh, from the instruction manual. The primary objective of the game is to break a path through the shield or destroy the Kota with a blast from the Zorlon cannon. The secondary objective is to score as many points as possible. The shield is a red area in front of the quotile base. It appears in one of two shapes, an arch or a shifting rectangle. The shield is made up of cells. Yar Scout can destroy these cells by firing at them with energy missiles from any location of the playfield or by devouring them on direct contact. By the way, the fact that he can eat them really makes you feel like an insect, and I don't know why that is. It yeah. just is. <laughs> it's cool, though. Yeah. yeah, the Zorlon cannon can be... Um, used to demolish cells, but this is a waste of a powerful weapon, right? You can shoot at it and just destroy one cell. I played this for a couple hours and I could not get enough of Yars Avenge. I know I played a long time, but I know I played it every once in a while, but my God, is it maybe the best Atari VCS game right now? It's the most fun opinion. of that. So when you're looking back at that era of games that came out that were skill games like that, it's one of the most fun. Um, there's a lot going on in this game. In fact, there was so much going on that to create the safe zone, it's actually, I think, pixels depicting code from the game. Yeah, it's just some memory location that he's displaying on the screen. You know, House Card Workshop, this is an amazing game for, for another reason to me, and it's part of the design. It doesn't do anything super amazing with the Atari hardware. One of the things it does do is it, it slowly moves the playfield graphics up and down the screen. I'm not sure how we accomplish that. But other than that, the blocks of the shield are playfield graphics. There's like a ball and two players. There's not a lot on the screen that signifies he pushed the hardware. No, he used it, it, he used what was available in the hardware exactly. But, but he, he, this is but, a, this is an example of a game that used the hard the exact hardware of the VCS to its limit in the most amazing way possible to make a really enjoyable creative game. Like you said, like you fly up there, the little guy that's trying to kill you, the the missile is a pain in the ass, just like in Star Castle. In fact, it gives the exact same feeling, Star Castle, that you're trying to aim up, you're trying to get going, and this damn spark is gonna hit you and it's just not fair because you have to spend so much time trying to manipulate your ship just to get it in the right place that is so frustrating so it got that feel down and also the feel of blowing away the barrier is very close to star castle too but the thing is it's a better game because then when you need to turn yourself into zorlon cannon or whatever it's called that's a whole different aspect then all of a sudden you've got this cannon you're gonna shoot and you have to aim it correctly. You're dodging the, that little missile thing. And and the um, quotile might turn into a swirl at any time. And right. at that time, it's an even more danger. And by the way, if you shoot that swirl in the air, you get mega bonus points, which is, <laughs> which is really... So, so it's up to you to try to figure it out. Like, if you want to try to shoot that swirl in the air, you're going to get some really great... You know, nope. I think it's 6,000 points you get for it. When you try and shoot, though, it shoots to the exact location of your yard. So you need to get the F out of the way, which is something that I kept, like, moving away and then getting the little spark in the way and moving back and getting hit by it. Like, <laughs> so now here's something interesting. Howard Scott Warshaw did the scores for this. A cell or a cell divided by Yar, 69 points. Come on, Howard. <laughs> well, he also, uh, this is one of the, the second games, one of the, probably the second game that he, he made that has an Easter egg in it. Oh, yeah. Probably maybe his first game that had an Easter What's egg. What's Easter egg? 
Hey everybody, it's Bill from Atari Bytes. Every week on my show I play a great old game, then I read an original short story I wrote inspired by that game. Loosely inspired. Okay, often completely different. Sometimes not even based on any sort of reality. In contrast, on Into the Vertical Blank, which you're listening to right now, you get real stories about real people and what these games mean to them. So keep listening. So there's an Easter egg, Steve. Uh-huh. If you do shoot the quote the uh, swirl in the air, you have to position the yard at a certain place, and then while it gets shot, the game will reset and his his uh, initials become on the screen backwards and forwards. So it's a pretty interesting way. So you do need to shoot that to get the Easter egg. It came out in '82, and at the time it was panned by by electronic games. I remember. I remember. They, they panned it because it came out after Pac-Man. That, we did this in our Pac-Man episode. Their review was like, eh, not too great. And, it was really, and they were actually reviewing Pac-Man in the same review, um, which was annoying. Yeah. I think we got it anyway because it's just after – I think we saw the review. Well, Wesley had it first. And then Wesley sure. had it because he got it for Christmas or something like that. And it's like yeah. – this game rocks. Someone went out and got it. I'm was, certain, certain you're right. He got it for Christmas, and then we went out and got it after that. Because like, wow, that's actually, that's actually a really good game. Because we had kind of not given up on Atari VCS at that point. I think we had gotten Donkey Kong and weren't too happy with it. Even though now I look at it and I don't know why I wasn't too happy with I it. I loved it. I still like it. Um, but at the time, I wasn't too happy with it. And I was like, eh. But, now, but, I mean, but I all the Atari now, like, wow, games, this great. is the thing. At the time. We had access to Eric Bart's Apple IIe, right? And we wanted an Atari 800. I think even Brandon at the time had his ColecoVision, or maybe. Or he was, yeah, yeah, he had it by then. And at this time, the games, the Yard's Revenge, and we were so hoping that the Supercharger would kick everything's ass. And while the Supercharger did, it stopped being produced, right? Yeah. And so we, we were really hungry for computer games. And this, while this game was a great arcade game, it and it, we loved it, the next games that came out, except for the Super Soldier games, didn't satisfy that hunger for what was going on in the computer realm. Sure, but I mean, this one, I just said, like, like some, for some reason, I combined Tempest and this game together in my mind because I think because they both offer the same sort of thrill. I mean, there's no time in either of these games for you to let your guard down. And it's in their both complete challenges and completely unique challenges. And again, I know Yars Revenge was designed after Star Castle, but it's not. Star Castle is a different game. Star Castle is an iteration on asteroids, and this is not that at all. This is something completely different in the same vein, but a totally different game. And because of you having the cannon, it has a totally different feel to it and the dead zone. But here's the thing. I realized this morning when I was playing this, I never played any of the variations. So I went to go play game, what is it, four or three. And the cannon bounces. So you shoot it. And if you if, if you miss, it bounces back to hit you. At you? <laughs> yes. Oh, man. <laughs> So I, got, I have crazy. to explore this game a lot more. I'll probably explore all the variations for a video. And uh, when you played this game, Steve, where did you play it and what was your score? First, I played it on Atari Vault on my computer. And then this morning, I played a lot more on the PlayStation 4. 
So I played Atari Vault on my computer using a, a 360 gamepad and then Atari Vault on the PS4. Both feel great. Both look great and play great. The On the computer, I did my best. I got 52,140, which was, I think, something like maybe 146. I can't remember exactly what it was. It was something like, but right around there. And I think that's because I shot the quotile or the swirl twice in mid Oh, man. Really, if you don't do that, it's really hard to get a high score. So I was really excited. And it did, that was like my first game playing back. So the PlayStation 4 I tried again this morning on Atari Vault. It plays great. But I, I think I could only get into like 20,000. Well, I have this cartridge. I didn't break it out right now. The um, I'm having trouble... The 7800 does work, but I wanted to put it on the Atari Rextron 77 because um, I have that new controller to use. The, the what's it called? The Revenger, the Ranger or whatever. It's awesome. So I, I'm going to try and record that game, me playing the variations with that system directly into my computer. But when I play this in Atari Vault, I had a hell of a time getting playing this game. Like I loved it, but I kept on shooting myself the uh, missile. So I finally, after about an hour, was able to get 35,000 points, a little bit, a little over 35,000 points. But I want to play it more. In fact, after playing both of these games, it made me realize that, you know, I, I play Asteroids and Food Fight a lot. They're two of my favorite games. So was Space Duelist. But these two games, because I didn't get to play Tempest very much back then, and these two are two of Atari's best games. Oh, yeah. In fact, I don't see why Yarsh wasn't made into an arcade game, only because this, the company was split, and the arcade game guys probably didn't want to make a take a VCS cartridge or make a game out of it. I thought it was... Oh, yeah. Down. It was probably just like, you know, for, for years, it was like TV versus movies. It was like right. you would never, you know, turn a TV show into a movie, because that's just not what you do. But um, now nobody would care. Yeah, it's interesting that they would. I, I, I kind of don't understand. I realize that, you know, these is this is an example because Tempest never came home either, and that's because it was too hard to do. But um, there was a 5200 version, I mean, that they had made at the time, and it's pretty good. So I'm going to find that demo and try to put it in the video also. Um, well, I mean, so that, I mean, I mean, I think as hardcore games go, you know, we already covered Food Fight before. But I think as, you know, as Tempest and Yara's Revenge, I mean, these are games that came out in a similar time period. And really, I think this is like the golden age of Atari game design right here with these two. Yeah, and both deal with VCS and arcade, pretty much. Yeah, and having just such an awesome, like two experiences that are totally unique, actually unique to their platform, the zone where you can't get hit. That's a product of the Atari 2600. That, of course, you know, displaying the merit. I mean, that's something that Harvard Scott Warshaw came up because of the way the 2600 works. And I, I just love the fact that it uses the existing hardware aspects of 2600 to make a game. Yeah. Um, he didn't have to do anything extra, though I, I am wondering how he shifted the playfield graphics up, up and, and down. why the playfield's only on one side. He must have been doing some tricks to get the playfield to not be mirrored. No, um, you, you can make it not mirrored. But you only get half or something like that. Okay, okay. No, no, no. You can do the whole thing. It's just, it's just there's some of the things are lost. So, yeah, he didn't have to mirror the play field in that one. Um, but that was, that... so we're talking about at the time, about 81 and 82, the two premier guys still left at Atari, probably Dave Thur making arcade games um, and Howard Scott Warshaw making Atari 2600 games both firing on all cylinders. Yeah, yeah, and making these great experiences that we can still discover years later, not discover, but go back to and get the same feeling because they're just great games. 
How about we go through a little bit of news, Steve? Okay. I can start off with the new Sega console, Steve. Tell me a little <laughs> bit about that. So, yeah, the last time we did news, we talked about the new Sega console. It turned out it was just a bunch of mini Game Gears for 50 bucks each with four games in each. It's just dumb, 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 dumb. I don't want to talk about it. There's a new Namco Museum on the PC. And it, it can I get it on Steam, by the way? It's PC, PS4, Xbox. I'm sure it's I could get on Steam. There's a volume one and two. And they sounds like it's great, except for one thing. What's that one thing, Steve? No Bosconian. What are they doing with Bosconian? I I got upset about this on Twitter last week. So Mike Mika, who worked on the Atari Game Over documentary, and he said, oh, when we were building, when we were doing Namco 50th anniversary, um, they left it off the list, and we asked why. We asked, could we do it? And they're like, what do you want it? So they just don't even know what they have, according to him. And they they don't understand what a pioneering game it was. You know, just like it feels like the, like the guys who run own Atari right now just don't know what they have. They don't know they have food fat. Why would anybody want it? Because it's an amazing game. And same with Bosconian had speech. It scrolled. It was like it created a whole universe for you to fight inside of. I know it's kind of a small game, but I just don't understand why you wouldn't at least put it on. Okay? Anyway. I need to ask for a Steam card for Father's Day. That's what I need to do. So there are two new versions of Space Invaders of all things. It's funny. They don't. You you made a good point there, Jeff. Let's talk about that for a sec. I was thinking about that the other day. They don't put out, they don't say they're putting out things for Father's Day. The Crash Bandicoot collection for the PS4 came out right near Father's Day. There's a new Paper Mario coming out for the Switch that comes out right near Father's Day. This Namco Museum thing is coming out right near Father's Day. These are Father's Day things. They just don't use that terminology for some reason. They know that dad is looking for some time to himself. And if he's a Steam user or he's got some extra money on his PlayStation 4, he's going to grab one of these old games because that's what he played. Yeah. You know, except for dads who just became dads yesterday because they're, you know, they they don't have time to play. Um, Well, I meant they're probably nostalgic for something else. So on to a a little homebrew news. Not a lot. We're not covering all the homebrews this time or anything like that, but a couple. So there is a, a new developer on the Atari 800, a brand new programmer who, it's his first game I think he's creating. I don't know his name at the moment. I can find it. I really, I'm going to put it in a video for this episode. But he's make, trying to make a pixel perfect version of Space Invaders. And there also is a 2600 version too that some whole different person's making. That's kind of cool. Those are both on Atari Age and I'll put those in the show notes. And you asked about, wasn't Space Invaders Deluxe the same thing on Atari 800? Yes, close. But it still doesn't have the same feel of Space Invaders from the arcade. There was a special feeling about that game that I've never got from any of the other ones. And it has to do with the screen, the color bands, the exact sounds, and then also when you shoot an invader, all the invaders stop. And so no one's really got that right yet, I don't think. And so this is what I'm looking for, someone to get that right feel back, you know? Both of them being in high res, like using... So the Atari 800 one is being done in in graphics mode 8, which is a high res, two-color graphics mode. Really, it's a one color with two hues. So you could have black and white because white is a hue of black and black is a hue of white if you go all, all the way up or down in the in the scale from zero to 
16 or whatever it is but they're also doing color bands on top of it so they're overlaying color bands so really the entire display list gets changed to different colors it's cool though so it looks like the arcade game it's really neat that's what i'm looking for i do love bosconian and time pilot on the atari because they are as close as they can to be the arcade so let's get some of these old games that they screwed up on and make some new versions and this yeah would be great yeah to see i agree it. with you and there's one other thing that i'll be doing a full review of on our site and that is a video review of a game called Legacy of the Beast. It's Atari 2600 no. version of Shadow of the Beast. No way. That sounds amazing. So, and he, that looks like a lot of love went into making this game. A lot more love went into making the 2600 version than when they ported an ST version that wasn't very good. Although I do know it could have been better if they were allowed to do it with one meg and, one, and a double-sided disk drive because they needed a MIG to be able to pre-render the sprites rather than um, and pre-roll them so everything would look better. Yeah, I remember they, they the weren't given the, the opportunity of Shadow of the it. Beast for the ST being incredible and the game being god awful. Well, the, so Shadow of the Beast for the Amiga looks great and it's just an okay game. The ST one they for some reason they wanted to cover as many 520 STs as possible so they went lowest common denominator and that just was not a game that could replicate the machine that could replicate Amiga games. A 1040 ST, with done the right way, with the right amount of memory and, and disk used to make the sprites work around the limitations of the ST, could make a pretty good game. But they weren't allowed to do it. But this one looks like it was lovingly created on the 2600, and I can't wait to review it. Cool. Well, I promise next episode in two weeks will be the first of our Steve Golson interview episodes the fascinating interview with steve golson from gcc we talk about miss pac-man we talk about the atari 700 we talk about missile command beat up kits and all sorts of stuff it's great so we've got two episodes coming up in two weeks from now and i promise that and i know right now uh we're gonna go out of the vertical blank and we're gonna play a song by tony longworth called spineless tin pot dictator thanks tony after we do those, I have an episode, an interview with Thomas Cherry Holmes, where we talked for about two hours about his Arata Online, which is a, a version of Play-Doh, which is Play-Doh, which there was an Atari cartridge for it. Play-Doh is an online learning system. And there's an incredible book out there called The Friendly Orange Glow. It's about how these guys who made Play-Doh were so far ahead of everyone else. 3D game, 3D multiplayer games online in 1973 i mean just doing incredible things oh, they, but they were in chicago right they were in chicago wasn't yes, the guy were. the guy who made the imagination machine wasn't he they all they were also he might have been chicago too. also and that sounds yeah, I like think there the was. midwest gets sort of passed over when we talk about technology innovations it's really kind of sad it does okay so what are we going out with steve we're going out with a song from tony longworth called spineless tin pot dictator hey jeff are you ready into ready. the vertical blank all right into the vertical blank
Next frame calculated, prepare to write new data, V blank ending. An 8-Bit Rocket Studios production.